So I'm going to cheat a little bit with this week's word of the week. It's actually not one word. It will be words as in plural, because to be more accurate for the purposes of what I'm about to say, it's actually the phrase of the week. And that phrase is trickle down economics. Now, even if you have just a passing interest in politics, you've heard this phrase used a number of times. Conservatives especially love to use it because it's their bread and butter. It's also how they sell the public on this notion that it's a really, really good idea to give rich people tax breaks. Now, their theory is that by giving rich people and businesses big tax breaks, that will incentivize them to spend more money and it will therefore boost our economy. The money will, in essence, trickle down to the lower classes. Uh, businesses will want to spend more rewarding their workforce because they don't have to give as much money to the government. Now, I came across this fascinating story uh, that was recently published that supported what I've always believed and certainly what I could see with my own eyes. And that is trickle down economics is some bullshit. The London School of Economics recently studied 50 years of tax cuts and they came to the conclusion that, wait for it, those tax cuts that help the wealthy only help them get even richer. So everybody who's listening, pretend to be shot. The London School of Economics studied not just the tax cuts in this country, but in other countries as well. And their analysis showed that incomes of the rich grew much faster in countries where tax rates were lowered for that particular group. The money never trickled down to the middle class and certainly not to the working class poor. That is especially important to remember because as of the taping of this podcast, there's a lot of hand wringing and negotiating and back and forth about an additional stimulus package. President Joe Biden promised that he was going to give the American people an additional $1,400 in relief money, which would be the third round of checks that people have received. But have you noticed that every time the idea of giving people more stimulus money comes up, it's a debate, it's a fight. And then notice how last year when the government decided to give billions and billions to big business, that same energy and resistance, it's not there. That shit passed with the quickness. But when it comes to giving the people more money, suddenly whole lot of hostile energy. Now, we saw this with the recession back in 07 and 08 when big businesses got bailed out. A lot of corporations simply pocketed the cash. They still laid people off. They still eliminated jobs. And they gave huge bonuses to executives or redirected the money into buying back their own stock, which eventually led to massive cash infusions for those at the top. Now, according to an NYU professor, Scott Galloway, since 2000, U.S. airlines have declared bankruptcy 66 times. And yet CEOs of the six largest airlines spent 96% of their free cash flow on stock buybacks, which boosts the share price and subsequently their own compensation. Now, when we, as in the public, when we go broke, we get told we should have managed our money better. When rich people go broke, they get bailed out. When we need a handout, and actually I wouldn't even call it a handout, strike that from the record. When the government has made the decision or there's some kind of plan to give the people 
more money, which is actually their money because it's your tax money. Here comes Captain Conservative complaining that it's socialism and people start moralizing to working class people acting as if their lack of money is because they just didn't possess the right values. It's never because our economy is frankly rigged to keep rich people rich. No, you brokies don't have your shit together because you just don't work hard enough. Capitalism for the working class, socialism for the rich folks. Now, last year was the largest transfer of wealth this country has ever experienced. Before that dude who used to be president left office, he rearranged the tax law so that the 400 richest American families paid lower taxes in 2018 than people in the middle class. First time in history that's ever happened. This is why I'm always so confused as to why people continue to stand for ultra rich people as hard as they do. Now, listen, I ain't afraid to make a few dollars, and I certainly don't believe that rich people should feel bad about their wealth. But we work overtime in this country to preserve the finances of people who aren't paying their fair share. I'm always amazed at how sports fans get so mad at athletes when they hold out for a better contract. Athletes get called selfish and every name in the book, but they never have that same energy for the people who actually own the teams, the billionaires. They always side with them as opposed to the athletes who are much closer to them in terms of the concept of labor than these billionaires are. We idolize wealth in this country on an unhealthy level. So the next time you hear the phrase trickle down economics, interpret that for what it really is. Rich people staying rich. Our phrase of the week. Coming up later in Fuck It, I'm Bothered, I'm going to talk about how recently we've been given some great examples of just how unequal our justice system really is. But now let's get on to today's show. My guest today is one of the most talented actors in Hollywood. He's had an amazing run of movies, starting with his breakout role in Get Out, then his stellar performances in Black Panther, Widows, and Queen and Slim. And let me tell you, his latest movie might be his best performance yet, and that is saying something considering what his roster of work looks like. He's playing Fred Hampton in the movie Judas and the Black Messiah. And while I'm no expert on how award shows work or how critics judge performances, what he did in Judas and the Black Messiah felt like an award-worthy performance. Coming up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered, Daniel Kaluuya. So, Daniel, I watched Judas and the Black Messiah last night and uh, at the risk of of sounding like I'm fawning. I mean, I think I mean, it, it's crazy because I, I watched One Night in Miami last week. Then I'm this is the movie I watched this week. And I, it feels weird to say this. And when it's just January is the time we're taping this. But I'm pretty sure this will be the best thing that I see this year. I'm pretty sure it will be. And One Night in Miami was pretty damn good. Yeah. Yeah. But this I mean, y'all got me ready to start the revolution to go out there like I'm I'm keyed up. But it was a dynamite film and your portrayal of Fred Hampton is really, really extraordinary. So I, I really want to start there. Um, how much did you know about Fred Hampton before you took this role? I wasn't wasn't educated about him at school, for sure. Was not. I only hit me yesterday how I in 2016 I read I started his book. So I kind of I read that. I think I was just interested in that world and I was just doing it in my spare time. 
And then, um, and I would hear about Fred Hampton and hear about him from friends and documentaries and stuff around, but, um, and art and art hearing from different artworks and, and, and music and people referencing them and, and then doing my research on him from the references. It was something I wanted to do some in-depth reading and studying on in my own time. And then this, this film presented a really incredible opportunity to, to do that. Now, at least from what I've read, and, and certainly feel free to correct me if this isn't, isn't accurate, is that Ryan Coogler broached this idea with you on the set of Black Panther, is that correct? Yeah, on the reshoots of Black Panther, Ryan and Zinzi, um, the producers on it kind of just came up to me, pulled me to the side. It was the last reshoot. It was, I was doing the scene by myself, which was intense. Because it was like, Denai was in the scene and I had to pretend that she was, and she wasn't. And uh, and uh, and then I did that. And then, um, and then he just pulled me to the side and spoke to me about this film and spoke to me about the intention that he wants for it, um, the, the the reach that he wanted, the impact that it wanted, that he wanted for it. And then spoke about me and Lakeith being a part of it and, and uniting again. And Shaka King, he just spoke highly of Shaka King and, I read the treatment, met Shackard, and I read the script, and then I was like, yeah, I'm in. How do you go about preparing for this this kind of role? Because it, it doesn't just include knowing the history, but it, just watching you, and then I watched some um, videos of Fred Hampton, and you got his voice perfect. So talk about that process and, and what that was like to try to really nail this character. I just followed my instincts on it, and I kind of feel like I didn't want to focus him as an individual until I understood, it, I understood the thinking around the party, understood the ideas and concepts that they were discussing and sharing and educating people on. So I got the Black Panther reading list from Shaka. Um, and in order to be a fully fledged Panther, you need to do six weeks of political education. So I read the majority of books on, on that reading list. And then I spent a week with Shaka and we just, a week with Shaka a year before we started. And we just, I just said the speeches. I mean, recorded me saying the speeches, the actual speeches, um, not the script, but the speeches that he he said. It was such an amazing place to like explore and kind of hear from Shaka what he registered from Chairman Fred and then what I registered and just play. And without like, oh, we're going to play to do it tomorrow. We just played, which was really important. And then, um, then I did my dialect coach, Audrey Lacrone. Me and her just kind of just, diligently worked, 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 worked. Then I went to uh, went to see an opera teacher because I realized that I, it was a film, but I was in a play and everyone else was in a film in the sense that the demands on my voice and demands on my vocal cords. And then, and no one would say that, no one would ever prep me for that. I got to prep myself because there'll be whole days when I'm doing speeches. And it's like, if like any muscle in your body, if you're doing, you're using it, at the most intense and visceral point of it all day, it's going to erode and it needs to be strong enough to, to deal with that workload. So I went to do opera, I went to the opera teacher and then I would um, sing gospel songs, sing songs that felt like Chairman Fred's speeches. So I sang a lot of James Brown and then I would do the speeches and then I, I wanted to hear it from a technical standpoint. So those two technical standpoints that I was looking for was also, um, vocal cords and diaphragm conditioning, but also um, cadence and understanding that his speech cadence and his um, talking cadence are two different cadences. And so it's kind of pinpointing and then, and hitting that. 
And then I realized that like, oh, when I was watching the speeches and doing the classes, I was like, oh, this is the talking version of singing as opposed to the singing version of talking. So I approached them like songs. It's a big difference between doing just an American accent, right? But you're doing a Chicago accent on top of that. That's a little bit different. You know what I mean? There's a lot of different influences in that Chicago accent because his parents are from the South and because of this and because everything else is like, it's all that. And you want that to be baked into his speech and, and everything else. And it just like, it's like going through the speech and going through the dialect and going, okay, that's from there. That's from this region. That's from that region. And he's just a melting pot on everything, which is kind of makes him appeal to everyone. But yeah, it was just, a, it was a lot of work. I recently had Damson Idris um, on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yo, yo, you got to be on the show. I appreciate him saying that. Uh, we spent a whole lot of time talking about Nando. So I think that's probably. <laughs> what do you know about Nando's? What do you know about Nando's? Do you know Listen, about Nando's? I know about Nando's. Um, I, uh, I'm i a sports reporter by trade, a sports journalist, I should say. That was my background, right? So I went to the World Cup in 2010. And that's when I got introduced to Nando's in South Africa. Oh, South Africa. Yeah, I've been. I've had Nando's in South Africa. Listen, when you're in London, we got to go Nando's. Say, say nothing. <laughs> That's the same thing he said. He was like, yo. Say less, bro. Got to go to Nando's in there. And, and you got you. You got me? All right. I yeah. remember you said that. And remember, and uh, right now in my uh, pantry, I got some peri-peri sauce. So I know what's up. You're ready. You're, you're, you're prepping. <laughs> you're prepping. Uh, but the uh, question I asked him was that, why is it that British actors are so much better at American accents than the other way around. Like Americans that try to do British accents are like, they're not all bad, but they're all, you know, pretty bad. And you all are so good at imitating not just an American accent, but from different regions from, you know, him on uh, Snowfall, he's doing somebody from L.A. You know, you're doing people from, you know, Chicago. Uh, what, what are your theories or thoughts on that about why you all seem better equipped at this? No, I, I feel like it's... um. It's something it's I think it's it's a lot of times to do with exposure that um we've just been exposed to the American accent at a young age. I think American actors are incredible. You know what I'm saying? And I've seen like I've seen a couple that have done a British accent really well. Like Yeah, who's who's done the best to you? Robbie Downey Jr. did well. Renny Zellweger did well. She sounded like someone from Chiswick. Like they they kind of can hit it. Um, but I feel it's just like exposure in hours. And I, I think I think it's a reflection of the the industry within England that there isn't um, the wealth of projects in order to welcome more American actors to to kind of come on our projects in that kind of way. You know what I'm saying? And so, but I know there's a there's a number. I know Lakeith um, was doing one. I think Brian Tyree's doing one at the moment. Like, don't quote me in saying that. I know Dominique's flirting with one. So. I'm I'm excited for more American actors doing British accents. I read this as well, and again, feel free to clear this up. But um, a bunch of you guys, uh, British actors, um, Black British actors, you guys are all on a text thread. Is that true? No, 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 no. That's they, not they, true. I, I, I ain't enough, Fred. I ain't enough, Fred. They didn't. They invite me. They invite me. I don't know. They asked me out. They asked me out. <laughs> okay. I've got, got actors that I know, but we like we train together. Like we work out in the morning. There's stuff like that. We do. It's not like we talk about the industry. It's just like we're just friends. <laughs> like 15, 16 years. So we just, I mean, when we go festivals, we roll out. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just normal. There's just friends. A little more organic uh, than that. Yeah. I, I, I understand. Um, but getting back to um, uh, the movie uh, real quick, um, you mentioned, you know, all you had to do in terms of, of your voice and preparing and, and doing the speeches. Uh, of all the things that you learned about Fred Hampton, what were some of the things that like most surprised you about him? How much he loved. You know what I mean? 
and understanding that, that all this, all the work and all the intellect and strategy and all his incredible qualities and attributes were rooted in a love for his people. Um, really meditating on that. And you see it in the tail end of a film, I don't want to spoil it, when he makes a decision at a certain point. It's for the love of the people. It's for him going, I genuinely do. I'm going to, I say it and I'm going to do it, you know? He's like an activist and an actionist. That really, that really, it surprised me that it was, um, it's rooted in, in, in such a, a deep emotion. You never, you never see, you never see the Black Panther Party presented in that way about, of, of, of them having a deep love for their own. And no matter what, by any means necessary, we are going to protect our own because of how much we love ourselves. That realization in me is, um, was the most um, kind of illuminating. Now you spent some time with some of the ex-Black Panthers. What was that experience like? Yeah, I spoke to a couple of them and then um, it was amazing. It was almost like a, you had a window into a perspective that you don't usually see in the mainstream anymore. And I understood why it's not in the mainstream anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, this has been shut out for obvious reasons. You know what I'm saying? And like, it was, um, for me, it was just a clarity of mind and a clarity of spirit. And they understood what they were saying. They were aware of what they're saying and they moved from that. Even just, uh, I can, can talk to a, someone and I can feel where they're coming from. And I go, oh, okay, cool, got you. Like what they say is what they say. You know what I'm saying? And it's really important information, but I can feel where you're coming from. Like when when I say a fact and they say, no, no, it wasn't that, it was this. I can feel where they're coming from with, with that um, aligning of me. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's like, oh, okay. It was just that kind of, it was so, it was an invaluable, I don't think I could approach this project without speaking to some ex-Panthers. I, I know that uh, obviously Fred Hampton, he has a son. Um, and you know other family have you gotten any indication about what their reaction is to the movie like do you know have they seen it what has their response been if you know that they, they've seen it i don't i i, I speak to i speak to chairman jr but i i, I don't want to ask him what he thinks about it i just was like, are you a little uh, afraid I, but you know I, I feel energy so he still okay. wants to talk to me like that he still shows me love so i didn't disgrace his name <laughs> saying that's what must it not be too bad that's it like, <laughs> cool i didn't disgrace his name for me what the family, how the family felt about it really mattered to me. You know what I mean? That's why I kind of took myself to Chicago and made made sure I had the space to kind of meet them. We didn't manage to meet at that, on that trip, but um, yeah, I feel the energy from Chairman Fred Jr. and Mama Kua and, I, and um, it's good vibes. So I'm just going to run with that. You went on or are on quite a run here. You got Get Out, Black Panther, Widows, Queen and Slim, now Judas. Um, what does it feel like to go through this kind of a run where you're in all these very distinctly different films that allow you to play such different people? What what does this time feel like for you right now? I feel like myself. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing what I'm here to do. You know what I'm saying? I just feel like I just want to keep in this space. It's like, I don't feel it's any different to, I think you do things as a kid or as a younger person and all, unless you like something shifts in you, you just do it on a bigger platform. You know what I mean? So I feel like when I started acting, I started out to do improvisation. And I'll play a game with myself. It was like a youth club in North London. I play a game with myself. I go, yo, I don't ever want to do the same character every week. I want to do a different person every week. You know what I mean? I want to go into a different world, open a different world because I'm just interested. 
And um, and so it feels like, oh, I'm just doing that on a bigger platform, like like I did when I was 15. So it's um, and yeah, I just want to keep keep doing it, keeping the space. So tell me about the first time you felt like you were famous. It's when Nas posted the poster for Get Out, and I was like, Nas. <laughs> I was like, Nah, this is. I, I was like, that, that's when I was like, this is. It was like an out of body experience. It was just like, yo, I've had serious debates about Nas in maths. <laughs> like, like I've been kicked out of class. Because of the debates about Nas, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that was serious for me. Um, that was the whole thing. And then going back to London and just, I mean, there was one point when I was in an Uber, because when Get Out came out, we were shooting Black Panther in Atlanta. And I went to an Uber and this guy was like, oh, you look like that guy in Get Out. And I was like, yeah, no, 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 I'm British. Because yeah, yeah, I heard that guy was British. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you couldn't even play you know, it off. You information that I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't play it off. I tried to play it off, but... It's cool. It's a, it's a, it's a blessing. So I, I get a lot of love. So I appreciate it. So wait, what, what were you debating about Nas? Is this a greatest MC conversation? Is that what it was? Yeah, it was always, we was debating Nas and Jay-Z. We was always debating about that. <laughs> and then you take different sides. It's just, that's all we was doing in maths. We just debating. I still got my grades though. <laughs> so my mom couldn't beat me. So say how you matter. But like, I would just, we just debate. Like Nas drop. And you're like, oh, this is that and the other. And then you just go in, go in on one or you debate about your favorite song on an album that just come out. And this is that. It was just, that's what I used to do. So who, who'd you take? Nas or Jay-Z? I can't, I can't say that. <laughs> no, I can't say that. In Nando's. In Nando's. I catch you in Nando's. In Nando's, you Come in Nando's and get your little real offline peri-peri conversation okay. about Nas and Jay-Z. Right now, on the internet, we ain't doing that. You don't want that smoke. I understand. Listen, listen, I'm I'm a politician. You know what I mean? I'm a politician. <laughs> hey, I understand. No, I, lo- I love them both. I love them both. I mean, I'm a fan of them both. They both got classic albums and they both mean so much to me. You know what I mean? That's the reality. Do you know what I'm saying? So, but um, I don't, and I'm, I'm not even in a pick of, I'm not even, a, I think in that space, I was in a pick where like, what art is better? But now I'm not even in that space anymore. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? And I just call, is it honest? Is it truthful? And I just, and do I enjoy it? And I just listen. Okay. Um, uh, Getting back to, to get out, um, you know, there were so many think pieces done on Get Out. Uh, and I, I mean, I thought it was a, a brilliant movie. And But what, uh, I'm really curious, what were your conversations with white people like after that movie? <laughs> it's interesting. I just love hearing how they feel. I love hearing how they feel about it. I remember there was one time this woman came up to me at a party, goes, yeah, I didn't like this white woman. I didn't like how you guys handled the, the tone of racism. I was like, didn't you? Yeah, didn't you do it? Why didn't you like it? Because, oh, it was a bit too funny. Like, racism is serious. I'm like, is it serious? Like, okay, so a, a black man that's telling a black story can't say it in a way that he likes. You have to police. Oh, okay, no, no, I want to hear. But for me, it's that kind of like, I just want to hear what they think. And a lot of people come up to me with like kind of having a window into a perspective that they they never really see. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and like, um, and they were kind of appreciative of that in Get Out. And it was just like, I just had conversations. It was funny. It was a funny time. It was a, like, it was a funny 18 months. How many people did the teacup thing to you? Yo, a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people, man. But it'd be like, annoying was coffee shots when I'm literally trying to get a coffee or a tea. I actually, don't, I even drink coffee like I'm trying to get a tea. And then they're just behind the counter like, like <laughs> I get it, bro. Okay. You're like, yeah, you're only the millionth person that I get did this. It. Like, I get it. I get it. I get it. Oh, okay. It was a good one. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you and Lakeith probably share some funny stories because I, I can't imagine how many people put the flash in his face after that. I remember when we went out, we went out in um Cleveland, like on a weekend after the shoot. 
Um, not after the shoot, but during the shoot. And then, um, <laughs> like, me and him were in the same place. And people were coming up to her. And then I re- I had a window into how much Lakeith has got it. So I felt less crazy because I get it a lot. And I was like, oh, someone else is out there, like, getting this get-out um, energy quite a bit. So there are there are rumors that you and Jordan Peele may be teaming up again for some super secret project. Uh, care to share what that super secret project may be? Come on, Jamal. We don't talk about rumors. <laughs> Come on, man. I had to try. You can't confirm the nag rumors because we don't. You know, we don't do that. We don't talk about talk. <laughs> we talk about moves. We don't talk about talk. We don't talk about talk. We talk about moves. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Well, let me ask you about it. something else you probably can't tell me about, but I'm going to ask anyway. Otherwise, I'll feel journalistically irresponsible. Um, Black Panther 2. Yeah. What you got? What can you tell me? Literally. That's all I know. Well, you just heard it coming out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> you just know it's one coming. That's it. Genuinely, that's all I know. That's all I know. Do you know if you're in it? <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea. I have no idea. Because I speak to Ryan. I'm not going to go, yo. <clears throat> like, I'm not, like, he's living his life. Do you know what I'm saying? But you, you kind of want to, though, don't you? <laughs> you kind of want to be like, hey, man. <laughs> Whatever the story needs. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, that was a moment for us. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, I don't want to like, go, yo, I'm trying to be in it. Just because I want to, like, it's for us. I'm a fan. So if I'm I'm that kind of person, if it, if the story and the piece is better without me, I'm like, yo, I'm going to watch this. Like, because I really want to watch it. And if it's, and it's, it's there for me to be, serve, if I'm in it and it, I can able to serve it, then I'm in it. Um, so I'm just, I just stay in that position. When you um, think about the movie and especially what it was like shooting it, because I've read a lot of stories from a lot of the cast and it sounds like the shooting of it was as amazing as the product that we saw on screen. Um, did you know or have any idea what kind of cultural moment that that movie was about to create? Yeah, you had, a, you had an idea in terms of like how happy everyone was on set. And it was a lot of time was it was with the background artists because sometimes you'd be like waiting so much for stunts and whatever. So you would chill and just talk and hearing them talk about it and hearing them talk about like what they give up to come here, like in terms of work or something like that. Or they're like, like they're just they're, they're, the energy of sort of being so um, privileged to be part of this moment was like, wow, this is like, this is, this is a real it's a real thing. There's certain scenes like the waterfall scene and there's certain scenes that you'd, you'd see and go, wow, I've never, I've never. For me, it was kind of like the fact that everyone had a different hairstyle. It was stuff like that. Like everyone had a different hairstyle that I could identify in real life in, in, a, in the diaspora. So I was like, oh, this is, there's a lot of love and care in this. Um, and, then, and then after the, the premiere, because they took our phones, the premiere took our phones. So it was just like, everyone was just talking to everyone. And the energy, everyone was just so excited. So I knew if um, the audience felt a bit of that, then it, it would it would reach it would reach far and wide. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion, as um, I'm sure you've either heard or seen, about um, what should happen to the role of Black Panther because of, uh, unfortunately, what happened with Chadwick Boseman. Um, I personally would like to like to see it live on because I'm a big super uh, hero comic book nerd and. They live on. That's what is supposed to happen. And I know how it, things are in the comic book as, as well. Um, whether you're a part of Black Panther 2 or not, um, for you, um, how much different will this experience be because Chadwick's not in it? It's going to be a huge loss. You know what I'm saying? He was, he was, he was, the, he was the center. He was the glue. It's going to be a huge loss. Like it's, it's, um, that's going to be felt, you know? But I feel... 
it's um the way when when I've spoken to people part of the cast and the energy and the character of everyone everyone is ready to honor what he gave you know I mean in that moment we, we can't even put our head around what he gave in that moment to us and to everyone so I feel everyone's ready to honor it and and suit up but um it's going to be a the loss is unquantifiable yeah i i can definitely feel that and especially seeing um i, I saw my rainy's black bottom he was just so brilliant in that um such a brilliant brilliant film done and i'm just amazed uh and it's inspirational just how much he was able to accomplish um in the amount of time that that he had while you know battling something terrifying Listen, I have some more stuff I want to ask you. We're going to take a quick break because uh, there's definitely some more rumors I need you to confirm or not confirm <laughs> related to your some of your projects that are, are coming up. But uh, we'll be back in a moment with Daniel Kaluuya. So I read an interesting story um, about your mom uh, that she has some words for your co-star in uh, Queen and Slim, Jody Turner-Smith, about your love scene. What did your mom say <laughs> to your co-host? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Jody wanted to tell me. I said, I don't know. I don't know what she said because me and my mom haven't talked about the, the sex scene. We don't talk about it. <laughs> Is that on, that's on purpose? I I mean, she, she kinda, yeah, yeah. I ain't got time for that. Like, why? No, no, I'm good. I was like, did you watch the film? She's like, yes. I'm like, okay, we moving. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I know, I know that she was like, she said something about kind of like in the arena of like, it was really racy or X-rated or something like that. And I was like, Jody, stop there. I don't need to hear about my mom's critiques or opinions on views of anything that I'm doing with my body in that department. Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, I mean, I know you can't keep your mother in mind as you're deciding what roles to to take or whatever, but are there characters that you have played that you wonder like, hey, I wonder what my mom will think of this? <laughs> nah, you know, I, I kind of, maybe Widows was kind of like, ooh, this is going to be, but then I just kind of like, ah, oh, it's make-believe. Do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, oh, it's like we're acting. But so she has views. I think she, she doesn't like me dying. She doesn't like seeing me die. She doesn't like seeing me die. So I'm aware she doesn't enjoy me dying. Now, has she, I guess along those same lines, has she seen Judas and the Black Messiah? Yeah, has she, she seen it yet? She hasn't seen it yet. No, because of the pandemic and all this stuff, she hasn't been able to see it yet. Um, but yeah, no, I'm going to get to get her to see it very soon. Well, I only say that because of the end. So I'm no, just no, like, no, well, no, 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 yeah. I, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't told her that bit. I haven't told her. But I don't, I don't, I try not to. I got to do what I got to do, but it's a, it's going to, it's going to be a lot for her. Now, as you're deciding about um, these different roles that that you're playing, you 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 said um, earlier in the podcast that you're you're trying not to do the same things over and over. But um, because you've been so good at various things, um, is that reflecting in what you're being offered or what's coming before you? Or are people still trying to pigeonhole you and, and put you in the same thing over and over again? Yeah, there's pigeonholes, but in like, what I'm very blessed is like it's pigeonholed as a reflection of what they've seen as opposed to like a general pigeonhole. So it's like, they go, oh, we saw this, 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 depending on their taste. So there's people that still send me comedy stuff because they saw me on a loads of comedy TV shows in London. So they send me comedy stuff, but they won't send me anything else. But that's a reflection of their taste and the perception of me, not necessarily what I'm doing. And there's some people that send me a certain kind of horrors because of their fan of Get Out and this, and they want this, and this is that and the other, but that's not 
it's not like I get I get like a eclectic pigeonhole, which is a blessing. Because I'm sure you'd rather at least it be based off some evidence that you have played this role. But what is I never used to get bad guys. I never used to get bad guys. That's why I like Steve when he's because I remember I sat down with him and about something else, and then he was like, "Oh, there's a part in Widows," and that was a that was from him sitting down with me, and so then. But that never happened before. I would always be like the good guy. And then, so then now I get more bad guys. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's just what they've seen. So I was going to say, um, I actually think you, you make a great bad guy. <laughs> you know, you've already played one, but one that where that was solely just you, the entire film, like as a, as a centerpiece, as just a bad guy, um, you were pretty terrifying in that. How did, did that, you said you had never done that before. Um, was it in a way awkward or uncomfortable because you had never played that, that role before? It's always like a really exciting moment. Cause you're like, Oh, can I do this? Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, you're asking yourself, you're stretching yourself in yourself. And then you just have an idea of, but I just don't think bad guys think they're bad guys. It's just their experience seems like they're bad guys, but they did what they had to do. So, and I understood those guys when I was growing up and I was just like, oh, they would help my mum with shopping and they'll do some, something crazy. But like, and it's just like they, what was amazing doing it is under, having a perspective on bad guys, what people perceive as bad guys. It's just them doing what they want to do. They have to do that. And What's scary is that you're seeing a window into the actual experiences. Because if they're that cool in that in that space, you're like, what has he been through? What has he seen? What has he done? And that's a scary. That's like it's finding the. I, I think like great like storytelling that sometimes like storytelling that doesn't resonate is four, and storytelling that does resonate is two plus two. So when you do that and you just do it very normally you're basically putting a two and their experiences, the audience experiences and the projection of what that person experiences is another two. Then you get, oh, this person's a bad guy. But that person's not feeling like a bad guy. He's just doing what he's doing. Um, you, I think you were in the business a decade before the role in, in Get Out came along. Um, what was that 10-year process kind of like for you? Because I, when I talk to, especially a lot of actors and even entertainers, they always talk about the, the process and the getting there. And in many ways, that's the the most fond part of their journey. They don't miss being broke. Don't get me wrong, but they do appreciate that process of finally getting to the place that they thought or the place they were working to get. So for you, what was that process into quote unquote, making it like? It was amazing. <laughs> I was having so much fun. Like I, I loved my job. I loved my job. I was just going having fun, meeting interesting people, getting paid. Like I was like, this is fun. Like I was just going to all these places I never thought I would go to and have these experiences and then explore these worlds and explore my craft and hone something that you're doing continuously. I feel like for me, watching a film is part of the process of growing. You kind of go, oh, wow, why did you do that in that scene? Why did you do that in that scene? Okay, on the next one, do this, do that, do this. And getting it. So by the time I got Get Out, I think for me, it was more like I wanted to be a, a lead role in a film that was more like, oh, well, cool. It being a success was, it It didn't matter to me. Like it was, it was more about like, it was, uh, it was an experience of like, oh, I'm carrying uh, a narrative in this way. And this is a way that I can stretch my craft a bit more. Do you know what I'm saying? And so that's what it was. And then, so yeah, the process was really fun because it's just about like all these experiences that you kind of want these really challenging experiences so you can kind of see yourself and see your limitations, see 
how far you can go. And um, so I, I really loved it. Um, were there any other, um, you know, black British actors that you looked at that have been able to cross over to American audiences that was any kind of inspiration or role model or somebody you looked and said, mm, I'd like to do it kind of like that. Maybe not in how they acted, but just how they shaped their career. I mean, a big inspiration for me was Ashley Waters. Um, he's in Top Boy. He's the leading Top Boy. And he's like, like paved the way for a whole generation of people from a certain background in terms of, in terms of people not from a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? And show you could do it and not have to compromise your like self because you, you don't have to sell out or be someone that you're not. That's someone that when I was younger that would maybe go, oh, I can do it. You know, I can do when I was 15. I was like, oh, this is, this can be real. There's that. And then seeing Idris's career was, I like, I didn't even realize he was British like that. You know what I'm saying? And then when I found out he's from Hackney, I was like, oh, shit, he's from ENDS. So it's like, it, that was really amazing. Like seeing him and seeing him navigate and seeing him just be. I think John Boyega's trajectory really inspired me. Seeing him break through in Star Wars. I remember what Star Wars, like, the week it came out. And, like, I just felt so proud. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I remember seeing him younger and just seeing him, like, just go into that direction. I mean, and Melamine did a lot. And Melamine did a lot, like, when we was we was younger and kind of went over the pond and, and showed the kind of connective tissue. There's a lot of black actors that, but it's more, it's not, it's about them black, it's like you identifying with their experience and where they come from and knowing where they come from. You just, you get a feel of them that speaks to you. And then it makes you go, oh man, I feel like I can do it too. Was was the goal always to um, become a, you know, a crossover star, being a big star in in America? Was that the goal for you? Or, or would you have been perfectly content if you were, um, continue to just be successful and, and grind and, and be a big deal in over in Britain? I mean, you just want to grow as a as a performer, as a craftsperson, just as an artist, you just want to grow and, and you're always going to want to reach more people. So then with that, um, you're going to, it's going to end up ending up in America. You know what I'm saying? You can see that in the Idris's and you can see that in the Benedict Cumberbatch's. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and the Jude Laws, it's like, it's going to just, grow because it, America is just the world stage at the end of the day, do you know what I'm saying? In terms of the industry. So it wasn't like, oh, this is my goal. I want to get to here. I never saw it like that. I just was doing it and enjoying doing it. And I, I want to challenge myself. I want to keep growing and keep growing what I can do. And, and so I just grew and, and I ended up here. Now, I know you said earlier that you don't debate anymore, um, but you're going to have to put that out the window because I'm about to make you debate. <laughs> All right. So I play a game with all my guests on the podcast. Um, it's called This or That. The choice is yours. You can oh. get with this or you can get with that. Or you can oh. get with this or you can get with that. You can oh. get with this or you can get with that. I'm going to give you two choices, Daniel, and you got to pick one. Keyword is got to pick one. Okay. You understand this. All right. So. All that, I'll debate. Yeah, that's that shit's going out the window. That's not a debate, though. That's not a debate. That's a decision. I like that. Okay, you're right. But it's saying the debates is like, oh, I think this. No, I just think this. How about that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Way to correct me. Way to, way to get me together. Yes. All right. You're right. This is a decision, a decision that you have to make. So the first decision you have to make, uh, Infinity War or Endgame? <sighs> I'm going to be this. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Infinity War. Infinity War. Infinity War. Okay. Um, I have that debate with people all the time. I go back and forth. So it's like, you know, 
whatever, <laughs> you know, but it's hard, you know, in game. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Is, is tough, you know, so I, I hear you. Um, in terms of their portrayals, uh, since you have just played a noteworthy historical figure, uh, Will Smith's Ali or Malcolm X, Denzel. <laughs> Denzel's Malcolm X, rather. Come on, bro, it's Denzel. That's not even a comparison. I'm not even in, I'm going to remove the comparison. But see, Denzel <laughs> okay. Washington, yeah. You go reject the premise. So you said, I did the craziest thing, yeah. I started watching films like about, um, about this area in this arena whilst before I was starting to shoot every night. And then I was like, yo, let me leave. Let me leave Malcolm X. Let me leave Malcolm X. So I watched Malcolm X. The night before we first day, I was watching it. And I'm so stubborn, yeah, where like, I don't give up. I will watch the whole thing. But all I was watching, I was just like, I can't act. I just can't act. This guy's the best. I was watching it, I was like, this guy's the best. Like, I was in my head so deeply on the first day because I was just like, I just watched the best performance ever. So that, like Denzel Washington and Michael Bates, I just feel it's the best performance ever. Just hands down. Don't at me. Don't debate me. That's what it is. <laughs> like in that, like every look he does is iconic. Like he is not a game. Like you can't compare other actors. That guy, he's not a game. So I, ca I can't even, even be in a space of comparison when it comes to Denzel Washington. I feel you. And and you know what? All that being said, we were both talking about how we saw One Night in Miami. Um, I can't remember his name, but the young actor who played Malcolm X in that was was fantastic. Yeah, Kingsley Benedict. He's from my area. Yeah, he's amazing. And it's like I said, it's a really hard thing to follow up. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and like, he just did it with such class, such class and grace and effortlessly. I thought it was an incredible performance. Yeah, I love Kingsley. He's a cool guy. He was terrific. Um, so since you're uh, into horror films, um, Freddie or Jason? Freddie. Because I used to have babysitters, these 14-year-old kids, yeah? You know when you're like, anyway, you know, it's 14-year-olds, yeah? And I was like, I don't know, six, seven. And they would make me watch Freddy Krueger, like, as a kid. They, and they would laugh when I get scared. So then I would wake up, I wouldn't want to go toilet as a kid because I thought Freddie was out there. Do you know what I'm saying? So Freddie's, Freddie was terrorizing me, so I got to give it to Freddie. Do you know what I'm saying? I, you know Jason like that, so... I know Freddie, though. I know Freddie. <laughs> Since you brought up um, these two rappers as two of your favorites, uh, Jay-Z and Nas, uh, Reasonable Doubt or Illmatic? Don't give me that look. <laughs> I can't do that. I can't. I can't. I, 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 no, it's, that's deep for me. That's deep for me. I would have to re-listen to it now and feel how I'm like now and I'll tell you how I feel now. I, I can't say. I can't. I can't give you that. I can't. I can't. That means to. No, I can't. And I. I appreciate, I know what you're saying. I know you're looking at me going, this guy is dodging this. But I said three of them. I did say three of them that I, I committed to the, but this one, you got to let me, you got to let me just live on this one. I got to give you a pass? You got to give me a pass. One pass, right. one pass, one pass. I'm going to give you one pass, but this next one, you don't get a pass. All right. I, so you will be judged forever on this next one. No, I'm kidding. You won't be. But <laughs> uh, since you love Nando's, I hope, that while you have been in the States, you have had a chance to enjoy some Popeyes. Nando's or Popeyes? Nando's. Oh, but you flinched. Popeyes, no, you're with Popeyes, you're with is, I can only speak from my experience of Popeyes. Yeah? Okay. And I heard it's different in different states. Yeah? Well, it's, it's different in different, in like, you could, if it's 10 Popeyes in a the city, they all 10 might be different. Yeah, so I think I went to a couple of them and they were dry. The chicken was dry. I can't stand by dry chicken. I can't stand by that. Well, no. Is that what I'm trying Nobody to say? I so I can't go your Popeyes. I gotta go Nando's. I gotta go Nando's. Okay. Because Nando's is never dry when you go there. No, it's clean. It's moist. <laughs> 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 Nourish. 
<laughs> Look, I just just a tip, a pro tip is that if when you in LA go to the Popeyes in Inglewood, it's never dry. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> never dry. I'm actually gonna do that in like next two weeks. I actually will do that. And, and uh, have you had a Popeye's chicken sandwich? No, I've never had that. Listen. I'm trying to get you all the way together here. I'm going to need you to get on this chicken sandwich. Okay, cool. The spicy one. It's done. All right. It's done. It's done. All right. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm involved. I just need guidance. That's all I ask for you, man. I just need guidance. You, tell, you say when, I say when. Cool. When? I see. I love it. You're coachable. That's why you're a great actor. <laughs> say, say when. Yeah. Well, listen, Daniel, thank you so much for spending uh, this time with me. Um, that The movie is really, really remarkable. Um, so many people, I think, are going to not just love it, but this is going to be one of those things that we'll be talking about all year. Your performance is truly uh, phenomenal. I, it is at times where I'm listening to you. I know you're not Fred Hampton, but I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I'm literally watching Fred Hampton. So it was an amazing performance. And also, I, I'm, I hate that I'm blanked on her name, but you, the young lady who is your your co-host and love interest in it. Like, Dominique Fishback. She She's was incredible. phenomenal. Like she was really great. Everybody was. So I feel like I'm just fawning over the entire cast because everybody was so um, was so good. And that's what was incredible about this. It's just like everyone, you look left or right, whether it's Ashton, whether it's Caleb, whether it's Daryl Britt Gibson with Algie Smith. It was just Jesse's, like everyone, Lakeith. It's like, it was just stacked. You know what I mean? Um, Jermaine Fowler. There's some, there's some people that come from one day. Lil Rel. They come from one day. Kill it. Do you know what I'm saying? And so it was a blessing. It's just a blessing. That's what I'm trying to say. Is It's bigger than all of us. Do you know what I mean? It's like stars aligned. So I feel very privileged to be a part of this cast. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, and be well and just continued success because I know you're just getting started, even though you have done a shitload already. So um, take care with everything. Uh, you're warming up. Appreciate you. <laughs> appreciate you too. All right. Daniel's getting out of here. Final segment coming up next. Fuck it. I'm bothered. So y'all know we live in two Americas, right? And in the last week or so, never was that more evident than in our criminal justice system. So fuck it. I'm bothered by the following things. Kyle Rittenhouse, the teenager who murdered two people during the Jacob Blake protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin last summer. He violated his bail agreement by not disclosing his address after he was released on bail. Now, his attorney said that Rittenhouse and his family have been living in some sort of safe house because of fear and that get this. The police were the ones that advised them to provide false information. Well, wasn't that really helpful? Also, let me mention that last month, a few hours after his arraignment, Rittenhouse was photographed at a bar drinking beers and flashing the white power symbol. Certainly the actions of someone who supposedly is fearing for his life. Now, a week or so ago, police in Rochester, New York, pepper sprayed and handcuffed a nine-year-old black girl. Now, I don't have to tell you anything else. And just from hearing that, most of us with an ounce of common sense know that's fucked up. But despite this being so obvious, of course, the Rochester Police Union chief defended the police officer who pepper sprayed this nine-year-old. Take a listen. I, I can't tell you anything about him. It was a, he came uh, to the scene shortly thereafter. They were trying to get her into the car and made a decision. He made a decision there uh, that he thought was the best action to take. You know, it result in her no injury to her. If had they had to go and push further and, and use more force, there's a good chance she could have been hurt worse. Pure fuckery. 
And finally, a woman in Texas who was arrested for storming the Capitol asked a judge if she could go to Mexico for what she described as a, quote, work related bonding retreat. Now, the judge hasn't made a ruling yet, but the fact that this woman even could fix her lips via her attorney to ask if she could still go to Mexico is some real quality grade A privilege. By the way, how much I want to bet that she was probably one of those who chanted at some point, build the wall. Uh, anyway, this is how it goes down in America. White kid murders two people out on bail at the bar, running the streets with white supremacists. White woman who unapologetically participates in trying to overthrow the government is charged with a couple of misdemeanors and thinks there's nothing wrong with her trying to proceed with her vacation. Meanwhile, nine-year-old black girl traumatized by the police, which represents just how little our humanity matters to people who have supposedly been put in charge of protecting us. Do you think for one moment that those same police would have ever done that to a nine-year-old white girl? We know the answer. Just as we all know that we live in a country that has always had two different justice systems. Yes, even white people understand this, which is why they stormed the Capitol, which is why this woman asked to go on vacation, which is why Kyle Rittenhouse came from another state with an assault rifle and eventually killed two people. They inherently have no fear of the law or any fear of the consequences because every day in this country, they receive the message that black people are the ones who are supposed to be dealt with harshly by the authorities. The police and law enforcement are instruments they are supposed to use to restrict, oppress and dehumanize us. Safety and protection is for them, not us. Protect and serve is for them, not us. Have you noticed how the Blue Lives Matter crowd has been real quiet about the police officer who died during the insurrection? Nor have they said much about the other officers who were injured. That's because their opposition to the Black Lives Matter movement was never about the police. It always was, has been, and will be about the white supremacy. Stay unbothered. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc. From Unbothered Inc., Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Rich Burner is our technical director and Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, supervising producer is Jifa Yador and project manager is Jessica Dow. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. This or That Music, The Choice is Yours, Revisited by Black Sheep. Written by Andres Titus, William K. McLean, and Johnny Hammond from Universal Polygram International Publishing, Inc. on behalf of itself and Pete Bow Music. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. Please remember to subscribe and share with your friends.